This episode of Let's Think On It comes from an excerpt from O Brother Radio with Will Lockamy, Reed Lockamy, and Dr. Mark Westfall. This is our series on brain bias, right? Yeah, yeah, the yeah. Fourth one. This the, is the fourth, fourth one. Okay. Yeah, it seems it's yeah. like it's flown by. But you know, we had the first one. We had just a quick review, and this to help our guest uh, to kind of know where we've been. He's sitting next to me. Um, the first one we talked about the implicit association test. Yeah, that one. Yeah, mm. Reed still thumping his chest about that one. Very oh, that you're talking about the test that proved that I was not racist and that Reed was. Well, but, I mean, yeah, that, that one. Test. That was yeah, okay. that's right. <laughs> I remember. Clearly. Prove is a very strong word. Uh, it's a scientific I would say test. So. No, well, now wait. Okay, we'll get into that later. But we did do the IAT. We took the that. IAT, yeah. And then we had um, guest uh, A.C. Roper. Yes. Gracious enough to come and talk to us about what the Birmingham Police Force is doing. Interestingly enough, they're working on the implied association. Yeah, remember they're getting they're getting they're going through training on implicit association that we have with people. Yeah. Um, and for those that hadn't heard the previous ones, implicit association is essentially what automatically comes into your mind when any certain subject is mentioned. So, or any certain ethnicity, or any really anything. We have implicit biases or associations with any word you say, right? Yeah, and so. The key is to understand what your implicit associations are, and if they are um, uh, negative, negative, mm-hmm. or stereotypical, and no. don't apply, you have to evaluate your own implicit associations and challenge yourself to really learn about the topic that you have an, a, a, a negative association with. And you know, one of the things that we talked about when we talked about that in the IAT is that it's not, for example, just whites who have some negative implicit associations, um, but also, you know, many black citizens that you would find have, oh, uh-oh, we have these same messed up ideas. And about? I'll tell you, about the, the black, about, you know, the black race. Right. And that's the I thing in our that country. Was, that was the topic was the implicit, implicit association you have essentially with young or with African American no. male faces specifically, um, uh, and that there's there's this implicit association that all you're right all people have that is stereotypical and unfounded. Yeah, my English class recently studied uh, Maya Angelou's "I Know Why the Caged Bird Sings," and if you have not read that, I highly recommend. It. It's fantastic, and one of my students wrote a very uh, you know insightful essay about how racism was you know such a problem obviously at that time um and still but how it was adopted in many ways by angelou's community and it wasn't just an oppressive thing it was also this thing that was hard for them to get over and to understand like wait a second you know this is not a valid system so yeah well we've got a guru with us tonight on this good i'm excited about this show on this whole topic anyway so so we did that and then we ac broke was our guest and then last uh month we had uh khala hadid Mm -hmm. talking about islamic relations and fascinating great job that's one of my favorite interviews we've ever done that was really interesting yeah Yeah. she was good this whole series i mean chief roper as well i could have we could have done that for hours and hours we could do a lot of that yeah we could keep going no uh, pressure you know, on we, our guests we should tonight, start like a yeah <laughs> you, you could start a program like african-american studies or something it turns just, out just study it all the time yeah, yeah. you and could do that you could do that really <laughs> find a professor and find a professor to yep. lead it yeah, i don't That's know where right. they, it's hard to find one of those somewhere but <laughs> who knows where to I don't know. who's this guy so 
So our guest tonight is Darif Jameson, and he is indeed a professor of American, African-American studies at UAB, and uh, he's gracious enough to join us tonight, and, and uh, we're going to learn what he does. Um, one of the things I was reading online, uh, he wrote uh, a paper on, was um, black psychology. Hmm. I think he interviewed or uh, got information from black psychologists over a span of years and kind of gained a little insight into what's, I guess, the in the psyche of, I'm assuming, African-Americans, but I don't know. We're going to find out. So, Darif, welcome to the show. Um, Thanks for having me. Yeah, I'm Will, the non-racist brother. This is Reed over here. <laughs> as, <laughs> as we learned in episode one, he's a racist. Uh, I wish I, wish I was al- wearing a collared shirt. Uh, <laughs> it's always good to know. It's always good to know. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's right. Just, right. Uh, just <laughs> lay it all out there for right. you. Um, right. So explain this to me first, and for the listeners, because of course I know, what exactly is African-American studies? I'm so glad you asked that. Yeah. <laughs> that is. Ex- I told my wife. I want to ask this question. It's like, is it so simplistic? And she goes, no, it's a great question. I don't think it's simplistic. It's great. All right, so African American studies, technically, academically, they call it the systematic study of the life experience of the people of African descent. So that's the fancy name for it. But if we look back historically, what it means is that there's this notion of, like, assumed universalism. And with this assumed universalism, when people talked about history, when they talked about sociology, and they talked about psychology, African Americans were left out of the mix. So in the 1960s, as you had the Black Power Movement, as you had people uh, protesting against different things, they also wanted to see themselves represented in the knowledge and the information they were studying. So African-American studies came about to try to fill that void. In uh, New York, they have, in Harlem, there's the Schomburg Center. And Arthur Schomburg often called uh, African history or black history, he called it the missing pieces of world history. And why he was saying the missing piece of the world history is that if we didn't have, let's say, the sanitation of history where you clean it or the omission where you actually leave things out, yeah. then we would just have history or just have human studies. But since we have that, that omission and have that sanitation, then African American studies comes in to fill in those missing pages of the history. So that's African American studies. And it's also interdisciplinary. So my area within African American studies is psychology. Some people do sociology. Other people do look at economics. Other people, they study people like Maya Angelou, look right. at literature. So it's this interdisciplinary approach of looking at African American experiences. Cool. And really quickly, Mark, I take back the thing about you having the best voice on the show. Oh, no. He, yeah. Darif's got it. It's yeah, Darif. It. I, was, I was about to correct that record myself. All, all over it. No, no, no I, doubt. I used to want to be in communications, but yeah. then I wanted to be like you guys, but I didn't know how to do that. So You I, look younger I, than all of us. So yeah. I, think you, I think you still have time. You still have time. And so. trust me, you made the right choice what you did. <laughs> okay. Yeah, no right. doubt. Um, are your students predominantly African-American? Yes, actually they are. So most of the students are in the class are African American, and when you do all of them African American, no. So in the intro in the intro in the intro class, most of them would be African American. But then you do have I have Asian students, you have white students, and what's interesting though is when those students choose to take it, they take it for a particular reason. Like they know that I came, I want to learn this. I'm already I'm progressive. I'm into this. So you know they come in with a certain a certain perspective. What's also interesting with that is that you would think, you know, there's the white student and they're uncomfortable, African-American studies, subject matter, majority uh, African-American students. But a lot of times, like before, y'all were talking about this internalized racism and how some black people, well, black psychologists call it culture misorientation. And that means the extent that you over-identify or internalize the racism. So So hold on a second. Cultural misorientation. Misorientation. Go through that again. Okay, so culture misorientation is this idea that if you have these, let's say, these stereotypes about black people, well, one example of culture misorientation would be that 
based on how black people have been socialized, certain racist stereotypes, that black people themselves can internalize that. Yeah. They can, that black people themselves can begin to think that that's who they are and believe that about themselves. So what, how that translates is that with that example of culture misorientation, you can be in a class and sometimes black students might not want to talk about it. Yeah. It might be an area where I'm not sure if I want to deal with that. Is I'm what, whereas the white student to come in and since they know I came here to deal with that, <laughs> then they might sometimes they talk more than the black students at the beginning, depending on the class. You know, so, but but you still it's not to answer your question. No, the class is not diverse as far as when I look at when you look at the demographics. So, is there a trickle down effect from that focus you said started somewhat in the sixties? Well, African American studies the formal the form in a formal in academic a formal academic setting sixties. Yeah. Is it beginning to infuse its way into the mainstream historical and psychological and hmm. economic studies? Because at some point, it seems like hmm. It, yeah. should, it should be so. <laughs> Instead of having to go two tracks to learn the, the truth, why can't we get it in one? You know what I, I'm saying? Yeah, I think Is it beginning to infuse into the, the, the mainstream curriculum? I think you're beginning to see more of it, but you still don't see it as much. And African American studies sees itself, since they see it as being interdisciplinary, then it sees itself as like looking at those particular areas and going specific with it. So there can be like this general overview of including everybody, but if we want to go in-depth studies, then that's when you go to the African-American studies right. to deal with it. So even if there's not an in-depth study in the mainstream, do you think it's actually helping to broaden the mainstream's coverage of oh, historical facts? That's kind of what I'm where Yeah, I'm well, I think, well, historically, look, it forces it to. So let's say there's this mainstream current going on. Okay. And then if I have African-American studies, I have Latino studies, all these other studies are saying we don't want to be marginalized. Right. Our voices have to be heard. And like y'all were saying before, if, if truth be told, that means that even – you have to make a conscious attempt to leave these people out because people are part of American history. Right. So I think to some extent it forces, by default, it forces, quote unquote, mainstream history to have to deal with that. Awesome. Yeah. Okay. And is that one of the goals of African American studies to help? I mean, it's kind of a secondary of effect, but it's not necessarily a main goal. Or yeah, I don't, I, actually I don't, okay. yeah, it's not the main goal. Okay, right. right. An, an, an awesome corollary to it. <laughs> right, <laughs> right. I think we're up yeah, against great the break. News. We have three okay. more segments of this. Sweet. Reed, we're hanging out with Dr. Mark Westfall here talking about brain bias. This is the final part of our four-part series we've been doing on this, and I hate that it's going away because it's just such an interesting thing. And also, Darif Jamison is here with us, a professor of African-American studies at UAB. Dr. Marsfall, Dr. Mark Westfall. This is the problem with waking up at 4.45 every morning. You've been going all day. <clears throat> all and you got day. a lot of words in there in just about 30, 60 seconds. <laughs> and then amazing. went straight from the show to a, a marathon <laughs> training run, which is a terrible idea. Either way, here I am. Dr. Mark Westfall, take it away. All right. So, well, I'm curious, Darif, you know, one of the things I saw on the website with UAB when I was looking for, for bringing you on the show was you've done some studies on black psychology. Mm-hmm. What is that? I, I'm a psychiatrist. And I'm curious as to what, what that right. is. So it starts, we could, I guess, we, 1968, uh, we have so- American Psychological Association. Okay. And most of the time when they went to the American Psychological Association, they would have, like, these other, like, caucuses where you'd have, like, Asian, Latinos, African American with a black caucus at that time. And so in 1968 in San Francisco, all these black psychologists got together, and they actually, like, went up there and said they want their voice to be heard. They didn't think that APA was de- – that they were dealing with the psychological issues that were impacting black people. 
So they went there and they got tired of just trying to be like forced their issues. So in 1968 in San Francisco, they started the Association of Black Psychologists. Okay. And so that's how it started. And within it, you have different schools of thought within black psychology. So there's the reform, that well, traditional reform, and then the radical school. So the traditional school says that, and it's all around this idea of whether or not psych- psychological principles are universal, whether they can be applied universally across cultures. So the traditional school of thought says that, yeah, that psychological principles are psychological principles. We're all human beings. So what that school of thought says is that if you take racism out, if you take uh, the idea that certain studies are being done to prove the inferiority of people of African descent, take that out the mix and psychology is fine. Then the reform school, reform school says that, yeah, but there's certain specific cultural experiences where you might have to tweak the theory a little bit to make it more cultural specific. So if you're looking at Pavlov or even though people don't use Freud anymore, if you're looking at these, how do you apply those and tweak it culturally to meet black people's experiences Mm -hmm. since we have these different lived experiences? Then there's the radical school of black psychology. And that school says that these theories were norm, standardized, founded based on other people's experiences. So black people have to come up with their own theories to deal with their own their psychology. So it's not saying particularly that black people have a different psychology, but this idea of they may experience the world differently based on their lived experiences and based on that there's a different worldview and a way of interpreting their reality. And, and so essentially uh, what I'm hearing from you is that their premise is that the traditional uh, psychological approaches may not be valid, even though there's some of the core psychological beings are similar, but because of their experiences are different, they may need a different right. psychological approach in, in, yeah. in so, treatment. So experiences, different, yeah, different approach. And then even when you interesting, you say even with, with treatment, so how do you have something culturally specific? So let's say that spirituality is a main aspect of, Af- um, a major aspect of African-American culture. So then when I come in for whatever that treatment is, I might want to deal with it from a spiritual perspective. Mm-hmm. I might want to come at it from looking at what the church says, or I might want to even look at, like, how do you feel as far as being connected to other people and use that as my approach, not just come in with a standard idea of how I want to treat you. Yeah. So I, so I think that in general, my experience is that there's um, more of an individualization to people's treatment. Mm-hmm. And, and we're obviously oversimplifying mm-hmm. with, okay, all whites can be treated one way and all blacks right, can be treated right, another. Right. <coughs> and I know obviously that you, you don't take it that simplistically mm-hmm. b- because of what you do. So, so in, in general, everyone really has, I think what has happened in psychiatry is that we've taken much more of a individually mm-hmm. driven approach, mm-hmm. what works for that individual. And there are so many different approaches now. As you said, it started out with Freud, and there was kind of this one approach. Mm-hmm. Now there are so many different approaches to helping someone psychologically, different theories, different um, methods. And so uh, what I spend a lot of time doing as a psychiatrist is helping to determine uh, when I see a patient and kind of evaluate what's going on with them is then lead them to the approach that I think might be best. Mm-hmm. I am, I'm not uh, trained or skilled in every, sing- in every approach, and so I feel my job is to get them with the right therapist so that there's a good fit. The patient-therapist fit is, is key. So what I'm hearing from you is that that's a lot of African-Americans probably felt like, hey, this is not a good fit for me. <laughs> right. And I think that's where uh, when you were saying with African-American studies, you know, now we're talking about, you know, black psychology. But you were saying where it's like the corollary and where they overlap. And I think that's what black psychology begin to do. Like when you see some of that expansion. 
some of that, well, let's not just look at the individual. Let's let's try to see that there are different ways of doing it. I think black psychology helped contribute to that. Yes. Yeah, to yeah. open it up where I can't I can't just use this one model fits all. Right. And what I hear you doing when you saying that, okay, what fits the particular person, that's part of what yeah. black psychology was saying. To so do. in that evaluation that you did with black psychology, are there some what are some if there uh, are some core issues or differences that have come yeah. across just for the listener I mean, what are some things that are different in the experience that may need to be addressed differently right well particularly in that study and i'll get to that but in that study i was interviewing uh black psychiatrists about their role how they saw their role in the community and part of the things that they talked about was say i was interviewing you and as a black psychologist a lot of these psychologists said things like they du bois talked about this concept of double consciousness and double consciousness was how do I am I how, how do I how do I be American? <laughs> how am I American and African American? And at times I can cause like a conflict. There can be a, a conflict between those experiences. I'm sure, they're frequently. So what torn. those what those black psychologists said is that when they put on their hat as a psychologist, that they experience that double consciousness. This idea of okay, there's a certain way I'm supposed to treat this person, but then I have my own cultural aspects that I have to put in there as well. So they had to deal with that type of double consciousness. So let me give an example mm-hmm. from my college days and see if this applies. Okay. So um, I went to small school, um, Rhodes College, and um, in my fraternity, and I played football. Surprisingly, you can't <laughs> see me out there. <laughs> I don't look like the football player in What position? One guess. Kicker. No. <laughs> Close. That was the only guess I had. Guess. Receiver. Right. Receiver. Okay. I'm small. I'm, okay. I'm a little swifter than mm-hmm. I look. They, right. they put Dr. <laughs> Westfall way wide it, receiver. It is <laughs> Division three. Yeah, it's a step right, above yeah. high school, so that's, that's not right. a big deal. Uh, hey, listen. But it's it kind of fun. no joke, though, as far as we know lots of really good players that came out of like big high schools like Hoover and whatever that mm-hmm. would really were trying to get Division three. Yeah. No. Well, <laughs> it was, wasn't that hard back in the day, and I didn't play a lot. But anyway, <laughs> that wasn't the point. The point was... Um, essentially, most African Americans that went to Rhodes College, I won't say most, most of the males mm-hmm. were on the football team. I'm just stating the facts, and I'm not passing any kind of judgment. Right. That's what happened. There weren't a large number of African American students at Rhodes. Um, it's a liberal arts education. I feel like it was open-minded, and it was a great experience, but in 1982, there weren't a lot of African Americans. But... The ones that were there were on the football team, so we were friends with them. I mean, we were on the same team. It broke right. down the barriers. It's much easier And when I say we were friends with them because we were a different group. We were closer, tighter than the other students. We, there was um, two or three that we, when I was coming through Rush for uh, my fraternity, uh, were trying to get into the fraternity, mm-hmm. okay? And getting them into fraternity was not a problem because the fraternity was open-minded. However, uh, one of my friends, African-American, was torn because the other African-Americans on campus were saying, hey, don't do that. Mm -hmm. Uh, We're trying to get an African-American Greek representation on campus. And if we have too much representation in in the Greek system, then we're not going to meet the criteria. And so he was torn. It was like, you know, where do I go with this? I mean, I and. I can only imagine the struggle he was having of trying to balance. That's a that's a pretty big stress mm-hmm. for a college student to try right. to balance that that problem. So, you know, in my mind, when you said, "Okay, how do I be an American and an African American?" I mean, I can that to me hit immediately. It was like that's a dichotomy because he was trying to essentially. I mean, you know, Greeks life and it's kind of a mainstream and it's kind of a you know, uh, as we've seen at Alabama, it it's, mm-hmm. can be racially ten, uh, tensions at times. 
So he was trying yeah. to balance that yeah. and his friends that he'd made on the football team and, and, and with his essentially his duty yeah. as an African-American to support the need for that. And there was a need for that. They were right. woefully unrepresented in and that's the Greek system. That's an interesting example because part of Du Bois' double consciousness is the conflict itself, but also he's saying that you simply want to be African-American without having the doors of opportunity slammed in your face. So with this Greek fraternity, part of that was that those those are examples of doors opportunity that were slammed in black people's face. So they right. created their own. Right. And they had to create, the, create their own. And that in creating their own, it became what I guess you could call like a cultural safe haven. And this cultural safe haven in a majority white campus. So what some of those people were saying to him is that we're trying to have this safe haven, this cultural space that comes from our experience. And then you want to be in that group over there. And that's going to, I guess, about almost like, uh, confirm this idea that maybe you don't need your own cultural space right. to validate your experience and your humaneness. So that was part of what that conflict was. Yeah. Oh yeah, I get the conflict mm-hmm. totally, but, right. but from a psychological standpoint, mm-hmm. I'm wondering if that's the type of, uh, if he was to go see a counselor or a therapist about his dilemma, what I'm suggesting is that maybe someone who's African-American would understand his dilemma a little better than someone right. who's me. And, and, but that's a, so, and so in Black Psych, they have uh, Wade Boykin has this concept called triple quandary. quandary, And he gets it from other people. But this idea that you have, uh, you have your American status, right? Then you have uh, this minority status being like a smaller number. And then there's the status of being part of a quote-unquote like oppressed or marginalized group. And so the merging of those three together that's where that's that's what some of the problem yeah, yeah. comes. Yeah. So then, how how do you respond to the the, the thought? And this was a conversation mm-hmm. among my friends at the time. Was well, isn't is there some degree of of not breaking down some racial barriers when you mm-hmm. build a safe haven like mm-hmm. a, a black fraternity? Right. Because it it puts us in two different categories. It's us and them again, as opposed right. to hey. Because on the football team, it's us. Mm-hmm. There, there, there's no barrier. I mean, we we you know we spend a lot of time together, and you become very close. And it's just there's no us and them. It's us. But right. then you get in the fraternities, and now it's back to us and them. And so it, it's it seems to me to be a difficult path to try to figure out what is best for our society. Certainly, there's a need to break down barriers, and right. you need those safe havens at times. But is there a time when that safe haven need diminishes? And you need yeah. to work more on, on blending and still appreciating people's differences. And not to say they need to blend to be the same, right? but that we can hang out together and understand each other's differences and, and embrace that and, and, up, and lift that up. Does that make sense? Yeah. I, but I, oh. I think we're up against a break. So think on that, and we'll okay. come back in a minute and, and okay. touch base on that. Oh. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm, um, I've got some questions, too, so I can't wait for us yeah. to come back. We have two more segments. Okay. Thank you so much, obviously, to Dr. Mark Westfall. Also hanging out with Darif Jameson. He's professor of African-American studies at UAB. We're hanging out with Dr. Mark Westfall. Uh, next to last segment on brain bias. And again, it's one of those, I, we'll revisit it at some point. Oh yeah, we will. It's, there's too, it's just, too needed. Yeah, it really, it is too needed. And there's just too much to talk about. Darif Jameson also is here with us. He is a professor of African-American studies at UAB. Thanks a ton for being here, by the way. Oh, thanks for having me. Yeah, absolutely. So before the break, you asked a question. We need to follow up on that. Okay. So yeah, we were essentially talking about the, where were we? Uh, the, the dilemma of, yeah. of, having a safe haven and yet also trying to 
break down boundaries and not have us versus them, for example, with, with black right. fraternities and, I, and, and I white think, And I think you can have both, but based on the idea that black people, like with African-American studies, one of the main things we always talk about is that African people are worthy of study. And if African people are worthy of study, then the same goes that their cultural experiences are worthy and that you can identify and celebrate your cultural uniqueness without it being anti. So if later on, if we begin to talk about Black Lives Matter, when you validate your blackness or validate that black lives are important and that they mean, that does not mean that you're anti anything else, but it's confirming your own existence. And it's also contextual in the context of I confirm my existence in a space that's been hostile. So when I confirm my existence in this hostile space, I'm not coming against someone. I'm saying that I need this here and I can still be friends and I can still associate in these other spaces. But matter of fact, historically, black people have done that. <laughs> so with this idea that you can't have your culture uniqueness and still navigate in the wider world. You've had to do by that. By default, you've done that. Yeah. <laughs> it's been predicated on being the ability to do that. So is it still then... Um it's interesting because I'm reevaluating some of my own thoughts about it. So essentially, my struggle with okay, how do we break down to us versus them uh, if we have these two different fraternities? Mm-hmm. Maybe some of my own issue in that what's wrong with them having their own fraternity and still not having an us versus them? Right. Is that and, what you're you, saying? Yes, That's and you can have what you're that. saying. You yes. said that so politely, I didn't realize that you were essentially helping lead me along. <laughs> 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 um, but the, the the only downside I see with that is mm-hmm. that. There is, it's not downside, but the, the only human, humanness to that right. is that people tend to stay in groups. Right. And there's a group dynamic to that where we've got to figure out how to draw a bigger circle around these. Uh, so, for example, like fraternities and, and bring them together so that it's not us versus them. Because you even see that in our state with something as simple as football. I mean, it's cr- honestly kind of crazy how people mm-hmm. you're either Alabama Auburn and you actually it's not that you it's who you root for but you actually root against the other person I'm like right that's group dynamics going wrong we're all in the same well, state for the record that is the joy of it <laughs> <laughs> to right. some degree yeah. so someone you know poisons someone else's trees and then it's gotten over the top well <laughs> that guy's a jerk <laughs> right <laughs> so there is a you know there is a this need to kind of break down some barriers and draw a bigger circle around our our groups and I think mm-hmm. that's where I'm trying to, 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 to push this is to think about how to, to, to bring our groups together and not be so um, uh, opposing uh, right. in our stances. You know, so. but I'd like to ask a question about mm-hmm. that also because, and I, I understand that too. And, Will, we've, you know, we've talked before about, um, you know, the problems with our city and, and dividing lines mm-hmm. and how there mm-hmm. are separate spheres that exist. And, you know, but at the same time, Sometimes I feel like people in the majority are too quick. Um, not that you are in this case, but I feel like sometimes we're too quick to discount what minority status means and like, and like what it must be like to be in a minority. And man, there's not a minority that's more hardcore minority than the African American experience. If you look in our country and the insane things that have happened, it it does seem like on the one hand it it be or it should be easier for us to be like, oh man, I get that, like. <laughs> You need mm-hmm. to be recognized and be able to have that thing together, and for and to have people say, "Yeah, that's cool," because you like you don't have to assimilate into white culture. <laughs> right? Like we ought to just back off a little bit and be like, "Yes, you like be super black, and that's cool." <laughs> right. nah, you raise a good point. Because yeah. totally with that. Because there's a uh, like in uh, Ellison's famous book, uh, "Invisible Man." Yeah. So this idea of like being invisible, 
invisible to large society as far as uh, institutional rights, opportunities, yeah. those type of things. But then when you express your cultural uniqueness or even make it known or visibly your blackness, then, whoa, let's back up. That's too much. Right. So I was invisible. <laughs> and now my presence is known, or at least I'm trying to be visible. And now you want me to, to blend in. And, yeah, that's a, that's a yeah, phenomenon. I, I see that totally. And, yeah. and the struggle to me is not blending. Is um, I'm not wanting anyone to blend in. Mm-hmm. It's that there's a perpetuation of the racism if we continue to associate in groups and not learn about each other's groups. Right. And so it, if kind of one of the things I was going to talk about was this book on neodiversity by Rupert yeah. Nacoste. He's a uh, African-American. He calls himself a Cajun Creole black, <laughs> and mm-hmm. he teaches diversity and neodiversity and talks about how n- no one person represents a group ever. I mean, every right. individual is unique and we've got so much diversity we're talking about black and whites but we've got so much diversity going on now with uh, sexual orientation mm-hmm. religion ethnicity and i mean you can't engage in interaction socially without having a lot of differences and you it's not as simple as okay well there's one fraternity for the blacks and now everybody's happy it's so much different than that there's a uniqueness mm-hmm. to people and not everyone right. not every black is all black. I mean, there's mm-hmm. so many differences, and so how do we help people break down some of these the, these concepts that we have that that people are in a group and there's an implicit association about how they behave and how they act and who they should hang around with. Yeah. And so I'm just that was where my questioning was no, coming I, from. I was trying to break some of that down. I totally get that we need to, there needs to be uh, representation and and numbers to help. Uh, give a voice to the minorities. I mean, that's mm-hmm. I'm, I'm totally in step with that, but I'm just not quite sure that we've figured out how to get there. And I'm, just, I'm assuming yeah, that's I what African American studies yeah, is working on. Studies, <laughs> and then particularly with uh, black psychology. So in in the intro to African studies class, we just finished reading uh, this this uh, this writer Audre Lorde. So she was a feminist, and Audre Lorde always talked about difference. And in talking about difference, so she would when she talked about difference, the first sentence I love it. She says, "I'm a black." lesbian woman single mother in an interracial relationship (laughs) (laughs) love it and so when she kicks that then she says that there's this mythical norm out there and on every and every axis of the mythical norm i don't bust it through it (laughs) right i just bust through it she is doing it wrong (laughs) yeah she (laughs) you read it (laughs) no no no. No, that's what she said she she said she said so in so many instances instance i am wrong (laughs) yeah yeah. (laughs) right so she ends up being wrong and so one of the things is that difference doesn't necessarily mean deficient and that we can deal, how do we deal with the differences and still all be, I hate to use the whole salad bowl, but I like the, the old school thing of this salad bowl. We're like, we're all in the bowl and it's the salad, but I can, I taste the onion. <laughs> I taste right. the tomato. I t- totally. And I think that's a little different. Not like you're saying that we need to blend in, but I think that's a little different where you can still have the cultural uniqueness and still exist in I the like same that space. analogy. As opposed to analogy. a melting pot. That is oh, interesting yeah, to think Yeah, in the melting yeah. pot, if we deal with, you know, right. patriarchy, racism, you're going to melt into the mainstream status quo. And right. And maybe that's the, not actually a fix. Right. Right. Let's take a quick break. When we come back, we'll have our final segment. We've got some more stuff to talk about. Um, this is the segment where we're going to fight, and I mean me and Reed, since oh, good. he's kind of racist. I'm not a racist. <laughs> 
Well, the test. Look, I've told you, I've done some research. I think, if anything, the fact that I'm so not a racist is why I appeared racist in the test. You got it. You're in your skin now. This is brotherly. <laughs> got him. The problem is, you see, there's fun banter, but yeah. I'm seeing like, okay, wait a minute, you've oh. crossed the line. I'm I too progressive. Him. Is the problem too progressive? Yeah. Ah, I don't know about that. Mm. <laughs> We're hanging out with Dr. Mark Westfall. Of course, Darif Jameson as well, professor of African-American studies at UAB. Oh, the fun this is. One more segment coming up. All right, Dr. Mark Westfall, also Darif Jameson from UAB here. I want to talk about this if we can. Okay. All right. So Colin Kaepernick, uh, now it, it has spread. Obviously, like at first it was just Colin, and he was kind of dealing with this on his own. It spread around. Now here locally, Bama sits, I think, is the is the movement that they're calling it, hashtag Bama sits. So students at the University of Alabama are sitting. That became a bit controversial at the game last week because some uh, some white students went and stood in front of them, and it became kind of contentious, and there was some pushing. For and those stuff. that don't follow sports, tell people what you're talking about. Sitting right, right. What? Yeah, so what's happening is a football player in the NFL plays for the San Francisco 49ers. He began kneeling whenever the national anthem would play basically to bring awareness to what he thought were some injustices were happening. And that has then kind of spread around. I get asked about it simply because I'm on the radio. So people just tweet about it and ask about it. And I tried to articulate a few arguments one way or the other, but I didn't really know how I felt about it. The bad thing is I've just never liked Colin Kaepernick because I'm a sports guy. So I was like, well, Well, I don't like Because of his color, because as we know. Oh, no. You're not racist. I'm not racist. Yeah, the, the test show. I'm not. Tests show. <laughs> yeah, t- studies show. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I just didn't like him, so that didn't help from the beginning. But anyway, so for a month or whatever, I've been kind of back and forth on this. And this morning, I just had this. I was thinking about it for whatever reason, because I'm weird. In the shower, I was thinking about it, and I was just like, ah, you know what? My opinion doesn't matter on this. Great news for me. Like, it doesn't actually matter on this. And why do, would I even have an opinion? Like, I can be patriotic if I would like to. And I can like care about this cause or this cause. I don't have to like formulate a real opinion on this because here's the thing. How in the world could I put myself in their shoes? There's no chance I could ever put myself in their shoes. So it, my opinion doesn't matter on this. And basically I'm still not articulating a good thing. It just came to me of like, hmm, you know what? They should totally be able to do that. And it shouldn't be bother me because that's not my opinion. It's their opinion, even though I do think they're injustices and all that. So before you had this epiphany, you were somewhat struggling over your opinion on this. You there sounds like there was like a little battle going on in, in Will's head. Well, over- just a little bit because you know I don't think this is a cut and dry issue. I don't think this is a no pun intended black and white issue, right? I think a, a lot of what Chief Justice Roper said was right in line with my feeling on this. That there now some, you have you have really elevated him to a chief justice of the U- United <laughs> States Supreme Court. That was a <laughs> police chief Roper. Let, let me start over. He President Roper said <laughs> that, that yeah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> what Chief Roper said. Chief Roper said um, fell right in line with what I've always kind of thought about this is that there are some major issues and there are some major training issues that have to be dealt with and there's some bad people and some people fall through the cracks that overall i think it's not hmm, i think sometimes it's painted as like all of these people this whole group are bad from both sides That's and i group, just don't dynamics you're talking about and when you say all these people you mean like all white cops 
or whatever. I mean, okay. here's, or but, all police, or yeah, all black right. people, okay. or right. all whatever. So, so I was I was always struggling with that because I was like, it's not a cut and dry issue. Like I think the issue needs to start more systemically with the police as far as uh, the way you you know take a situation on and trainings that starts with training right, right and the right. way you diffuse situations right. so, so i'd like so to hear what darif's position because darif you seem black so what <laughs> what's your position on this well you know it's only skin deep <clears throat> that's right that's right. right yeah but i think with i mean the police issue that's i mean that's that's major yeah but i think in particular with the colin kaepernick it becomes this issue I, while you were talking i'm thinking about our earlier discussion with the double consciousness our discussion with uh the invisibility and then what they would call this hypervisibility once you take a stance. And I thought about Frederick Douglass who gave this speech. It's called What to the Slave is the Fourth of July. Mm. And he actually gave it on the fifth, but so what to the slave is the fourth of July. And in that, since he was free, they expected him on fourth on the fourth of July to get up and just <clears throat> hail America's this great country, talk about freedom. Everyone's outside, they're eating, barbecuing. And he said, Today I see this day from the viewpoint of the enslaved. And I stand here as a representative of the enslaved. And so on that day, he says, so no day looks darker to me than this day here, the 4th of July. And I bring up the Frederick Douglass con uh, context to say the same thing goes on with African-Americans of what is the contradiction of the national anthem? Mm. And when you listen to when the song was written and African people were still enslaved. And then when you look at this third verse that everyone's talking about now, written by Francis Scott Key, who owned enslaved Africans, anti-abolitionists. So then you have to put yourself in that, what does that mean to be in this country? But yet the historical context surrounding the celebration of the country and the patriotism still has to deal with my oppression and my enslavement. So I think that's part of like, so for him to take that knee, even though a lot of black people aren't gonna do it and they might not say it, that a lot of black people have, they're thinking that when the national anthem is going, does that really represent me? And how so am I represented within that? And that's where I think the police and the treatment comes in, because not only is it historical, but there's still a contemporary reality that makes me think that maybe I'm not fully American, and what American means doesn't include me. Well, and it would be like if you worked for a company where, like, just everybody at the top level treated you like crap, mm -hmm. just like crap and boy if you want to start having positions on some of these things like pick up brian stevenson's just mercy and like crap you've been treated like in this company and then all of a sudden one you know one day a year everybody's like uh let's pitch in and buy the boss a, a gift well i don't you know so sometimes the patriotism <laughs> you can understand where people are like uh and i'm not feeling that so much i don't right. want to buy the boss a mm -hmm. gift i don't i don't you know i'm having a hard time celebrating the country that has treated my people like crap for so long and so to me it's a, a pretty easy thing to understand why people be like uh-uh i'm not going for this song right you know i don't know to me that doesn't seem like a, a mm -hmm. far step to to go to and i don't understand why we have to act like <clears throat> if you don't sing this song you hate soldiers if right that's the elite. thing the soldiers are fighting for is mm -hmm. your right to say i don't want to stand up during this song right that's right. actually honoring soldiers i don't know i don't get it uh, to me it's it is infuriating I have a hard time understanding the, you know, it's, here's the thing. I didn't like Colin Kaepernick until all this happened. And <laughs> right. now I'm like, yeah, that dude's pretty cool. I don't know. That's the way I feel about it. Well, him. and again, I think kind of my problem moving forward with Colin Kaepernick, now that I actually got to like <laughs> outside of football, mm -hmm. was that I felt like he was throwing a lot of blanket statements, which I just, okay. you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Which I've just always, in every situation that we deal with, with race, no matter if it's whites or blacks or whatever, mm -hmm that I just 
think it's not healthy to throw huge blankets over full situations. I think you deal with, I don't know. I just, that was with some of his press conferences. I was like, oh. Give me an example so of a blanket he threw. Well, yeah, I'm sorry. I, Cause I don't want to misquote him. Okay. His right. issue, but, but definitely in the beginning, there was something I was like, man, he's just like making it sound like every single, I don't know. For, like, first of all, mm-hmm. you felt, but instead of what he said, how did you, how did you receive it? What did you feel mm-hmm. like after he said it? I just felt like, man, that's way too general of a statement. As far as racism yeah. goes in the country? Yeah, because as, as, as we like know, you, you're police. not racist. Right, so oh, I'm definitely you, not. Yeah. It's Studies no fun to be called a racist when you don't feel that way. Is mm. that what you're saying? Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. And and also, mm. I just know plenty of police officers and talking to Chief Roper again that are absolutely not racist and, you know, try to do the right thing. I've, you know, I've ridden right, with right, them. Right. I've talked to them. I've, so anyway, so that of was all colors, right? Yeah, of all well, colors. And that's absolutely. interesting because I, I think there's a a <laughs> um, it gets back to that group dynamic we keep coming back to is that you didn't like being thrown into a group with whom you don't feel associated with, and you felt like what I'm hearing from you says you felt like you were thrown into that because you're white, you must be racist kind of group. Is that what I'm hearing from you? Um, I mean, yeah, to, to yeah. pull it down, right? Yeah, a little bit. So, or because I'm an American, like I have mistreated. Because you yeah. like standing up for the national anthem, you feel like now, 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 does that make me a racist? A little yeah, bit. Is, yeah. Is, is that, is, are people mm-hmm. going to see me that way? So, and I, I think that is one of that that diversity anxiety is one of the things that that um, this book I was mentioned talks about is is that we get anxious when we're when we someone pushes us into a group with which we don't necessarily feel like we belong. Uh, and or if we were trying to interact with someone and we mentally push them into a group which we don't understand, we develop an anxiety in that interaction and it actually shuts down conversation. And so with this individualized concept of no one person represents a group, period, everyone's an individual, it allows you to lower your anxiety and start interacting with that person and learning something about them. Like we've learned from Will that he's not a racist, although it's hard to believe. And no, I'm just kidding. And then we've learned wonderful things about Darif uh, and and his views on things. So it, when you get to know the individual, a lot of the stereotypes just start crumbling. I think also I've been dealing with this a lot lately in class, trying to deal with students. There's like this dichotomy that happens. So this all or none, this good or bad. So even with the implicit biases and the stereotypes, sometimes you find pe- black people trying to like deconstruct the stereotype because I, I don't want to look as if I'm a thug, right? But then at the same time, I, I feel this like this white gaze on me and I have to like perform this like black middle class respectability. Mm-hmm. So this all or none type, when if we deal with diversity, there are different types of black people, different types of white people. So my quick transition would be the same thing with the police officer scenario, this all or none dichotomy. Let's say most police officers do their job and they are good. Does that overshadow, does that keep me looking at the people who aren't doing their job and the impact that that has on these people's lives? But I think the all or none and not getting put in the box, maybe sometimes that keeps us from looking at that specificity. And that's what people are saying. They're saying they're hurting and people are dying and they want that addressed. Yeah, so, and yeah. I think to go back really quick. So the with the Bama sets, I saw the video this now just on me this morning as I was going through the news and then also trying to respond to Facebook stuff. I saw the video of the guy moving in on the black girl and standing in front of her and kind of like getting in her way as she was sitting. And it just dawned on me like, wait, wait a minute. What, what right does he think he has to block her opinion on this? Right, right, right. I mean, be patriotic if you'd like, 
which is great, but don't think that you have the right to block her opinion to, right? To show a silent protest. That's, it seemed ridiculous to me. And it made me just think like, ah, great news. That just, you know, it just means I have to, I don't have to worry about this anymore. Like I can be patriotic. I can try to understand and hear her out and I don't have to put my opinion on her. Doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. Doesn't matter. Yeah, Just you're, listen. Yeah, you're, well, you're considering her as an individual in her situation, and you're trying to empathize with that. Even, and you're recognizing that you don't understand where she's coming from. Correct. And 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 that's helping you not. Well, it sounds like you had a good epiphany. It goes that. without saying. I mean, we, we just could literally, and not only could we, but we need to talk about this for hours. And, you know, I hope, uh, Darif, that you'll come back and we'll be able to continue this conversation. Yeah. Um, you know, because <laughs> going back to, back to what Will said earlier, uh, you, you know, we don't have to have opinions, but things only change if people are informed and do fight. And I'm not saying you I don't. Know, I just missed I, know I didn't mean yeah. I don't have an opinion or it's yeah. good to not have opinions my opinion shouldn't override someone yeah, else's we can yeah, all have mm-hmm. opinions as long as we listen to each other and you know what i mean but i think too yeah. often people want to avoid this topic don't mm-hmm. want to talk about it um and i think that that is the way that the status quo which has not been good mm-hmm. is able to persist mm-hmm. we you know it's not just you know for black people to talk about wait there's a problem everybody who is reasonable and compassionate and all of these things needs to talk about it and continue to do so and to have everyone's voices heard about hey there's an issue that needs to be addressed um because black people are in the minority and if it's it's not going to get done unless everybody does it so we got to keep talking about it. that's the point yes indeed. Yeah. yeah i appreciate you being here tonight oh, thanks for having me i definitely want to come back yeah no doubt. Great no doubt. stuff. Thanks. Darif, yeah. Thanks a ton. To listen to Dr. Mark Westfall live, check out O Brother Radio on Birmingham Mountain Radio, 107.3 FM in Birmingham, 97.5 in Tuscaloosa, at bhammountainradio.com, or on the free BMR app. Join in with your questions and comments on Twitter, at Lockamy Brothers. <laughs>